Welcome to the Habit Stack Podcast by Purple Crest. In this show, your host Rahul shares ideas and approaches for accelerated growth in business and life. If you're an entrepreneur or an ambitious professional, then this is a show for you. Learn from those who figured out how simple it can be to build a system for growth. Hey everyone, this episode is a conversation with Graham Silvera. Graham is the author of Tailwinds, a coming-of-age memoir of a 13,000-kilometer journey by bicycle through Europe, North Africa and the Middle East. He also happens to have a diverse 30 years career in real estate. We speak about the life lessons he learned from the journey that was taken 33 years back and how those lessons helped him create success and overcome setbacks. Some of those lessons could resonate with leaders, executives and entrepreneurs irrespective of their stage of life. Enjoy listening to this one. Welcome Graham to this show. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us and we are really excited to uh, get started interacting with you. Um, we had last interacted when you were in the process of finishing off your book and it's so heartening to know that you are now very close to the launch of that book. Yes, it's uh, been a lot more work. I decided to self-edit. Uh, probably something I wouldn't recommend uh, for most people to do. It's very difficult. I'm driving the person who's doing the typesetting crazy right now with another 200 <laughs> changes at the last minute. Anyway, wow. uh, yeah, I hope to be able to publish it uh, in April for sure. Awesome. So tell me uh, about your uh, uh, book a little bit more. What is it about and what made you write it in the first place? Sure. Uh, so the book is about a cycle touring trip uh, that I took in 1988 when I was 21 years old. I started in London in June. Uh, and ended up in Tel Aviv eight months later. Uh, when I returned home, I got caught up in life, uh, married Juz, uh, three wonderful kids, a career, uh, and a series of journals that I wrote back during the trip I had been transported around in a box from attic to attic, mouse move to house move for the last 30 years. So I was rooting around for Christmas decorations uh, in, I guess, last Christmas. I opened this box. Uh, you know, it was like an episode of Jumanji. I didn't hear. I didn't hear the drums or anything. But boxes, <laughs> boxes and boxes and boxes of slides. Some very ratty, dusty, handwritten journals. So I just dragged the box out and left it by you know the side of the door to look at later. Uh, so as you know, during these times, very strange times, uh, the people that have the means, uh, presumably you and me, uh, we have been given the gift of time. So. After a month of Netflix binging, after mm. I got fired in, in November and and uh, or unhired, sorry, in, in November, uh, I spent December Netflix binging, Christmas trying to celebrate Christmas with us as we could, and then in January I began to read one of the journals what I wrote back then, and I, I said oh, this isn't bad, uh, and I thought to myself obviously I can't go on a trip right now, uh, but I can go back in time as literally I hadn't looked at these journals since I put them away in 1989. Uh, so literally I, I wrote as I read the journals with the journal, on my, sorry, journal on my left. Uh, I wrote, literally wrote as I read the journals, looking at the, uh, at the journal on my left and, and the computer, 
and I looked up parts of the route in Google Street View to remind myself of the terrain, which was amazing to be able to do that. But there's a lot of places that actually Google hasn't been, hasn't been over the mountains in Spain, hasn't been to some of these small places in England. Uh, so they've obviously just done the main, the main routes. So this took six hours a day for the last three months. Um, it was bloody hard work. I have new appreciation for anybody that writes. Uh, it's discipline. It's discipline. It's just you got to. It's it's work. I treated it as work. You get up in the morning. You have your coffee. You start writing. I also think it burns lots of calories because you're using your brain, and your brain, as you know, is your biggest organ in your body that uses the most calories. So I think it allows more room for snacks. I didn't gain weight when I wrote this book. I lost weight because of mm -hmm. all the walks I was doing. Well, that's my that's my story anyway. Uh, and reading this, it was just it reminded me of how crazy great adventure this was i pinched myself that i'm actually here with you now not squished like a bug between two trucks in cairo in a, in a roundabout <laughs> and, and and when i finished the book uh, it became clear to me that what i'd been through on this book had obviously shaped and influenced me personally and professionally i just didn't know it because i didn't know these these lessons or whatever we want to call them are in the book i i read them myself sort of and it came to me reading the book. So it wasn't as I hadn't read these journals for 33 years. So when I came back, I just put them in the box. I got busy with life and never read them. So to me, it was, oh my God, these lessons are in here and they're actually influenced my life and the rest of my life as well and work and career. And it was kind of neat. So when you were writing uh, and you said six hours a day for three months, uh, at any point of time, did you feel like, why am I doing it after, say, 15, 20 days of doing it? Did you feel like, why should I continue doing this? No, no way. Like I said, this was like I was reading like two or three days, I guess, of the ride every day and writing it. Uh, and it was like I'm living this thing, like I'm wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I know obviously what's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, but it was literally like I was on the trip again. Mm. It was like I was there. So it was cool because I hadn't read these things for three, three years, right? So literally okay. it, was, it was happening. The, the, the trip was happening again. I was mm. on the plane. I was on the bike. I could feel the wind in my face. Like it was pretty cool. So tell me, besides the experience itself, uh, which, was, which happened uh, 33 years back, what has been the most powerful impact in your life, either on the professional or on personal side, as a result of taking that eight months long journey 33 years back? Hmm. Uh, so at the end of the book, uh, I, I'd finished the book at 1.30 in the morning in, in Vancouver, sitting there. And I sort of said to myself, okay, what? so what have I learned from this journey that I've just taken? I've just written the words the end, right? Uh, and, and I just started writing. I, I literally wrote down those 10 lessons in 10 minutes, like the rough, the rough, like sort of bullet points of them and then polish them up after. But, so I, I did write down at the end of the book, these 10 lessons that I thought were contained in the experience. It was like, I wrote them down right after I did the experience again. Mm -hmm. uh, each, each of them have been an influence on in my life. When I look back at them now and say, okay, how did this help me? How did it influence me? And I'm learning to recognize them now in retrospect. Uh, but I'm also learning to recognize them in real time as well. Um, a favorite of the 10 is tough because literally I just wrote them down. It just came out, uh, but I'll, I'll pick. Uh, so lesson seven, uh, it's you can't change your surroundings, but you can change your attitude and reactions to those surroundings. You are in control of your attitude, change it, and your surroundings don't matter anymore. 
So there's a part in the book where the four of us uh, are riding through the the remnants of Hurricane Gilbert. Uh, so literally, you've got winds that are pushing so hard against you, you're pedaling in your lowest gear and, and the bike feels like it's going backwards. I mean, you're going like five kilometers an hour when you normally go like 25, 28, right? So you're barely making headway into this driving rain. Um, one of my cycling partners named Luke and I, we're having a blast. We're like laughing like little kids and the bikes are, you know, we're pushing the bikes to try and get them to go straight and you're being pushed sideways and you're back, rocking back and forth. We're just having a blast and laughing our asses off. Uh, you know, it's like mind over matter because this is the most horrible conditions you could cycle in. And our other two cycling partners, Deanna and Mary France, uh, we're taking it a very different way. So that just shows you, you just change your, 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 your attitude and it doesn't matter what your surroundings are, you can still do something or move forward. So in business, when I look at that too, um, it's important not to react to your immediate surroundings and short-term trends if you want to maintain focus on the long-term objective. So it's about changing your attitude about, is this going to impact my long-term objective? I don't need to look at it. So maybe that's how it applies. And it's so powerful uh, for so many of us, including me. By the way, when you were uh, sharing that story, I was almost visualizing the uh, the experience that you had 33 years back. And then some of my own professional experience came to my mind. But more recently, I think so many of us uh, would have seen tough times during COVID. And uh, uh, what really resonates with me when you shared this lesson is how the attitude during this time would have created a difference for so many of us versus getting boggled down by the surroundings. Exactly. That's, that's, it is mind over matter. And, and, and I've used before COVID, there's no way I would ever have thought of walking from my house in East Vancouver downtown for a meeting in Vancouver. It takes three hours round trip there and back. But I listen to podcasts. I make phone calls. I think, and and you go and have the meeting and then you can think about the meeting on the way back and i've lost 15 pounds since january just doing these walking meetings so if i have a meeting now with the first choice is vancouver's weather obviously is a challenge but i don't care now i even walk in the rain because you can show up the beauty of covid is you can show up in a rumpled suit now mm. or or jeans and a shirt and nobody even questions you now i mean business casual has gone to way way below what is normally acceptable so, so well, this resonates uh, in, the, in this setting as well. Uh, I'll flip my next question the other way around, uh, Graham. Uh, are there habits or routines that contributed the most to your success in career or life? And if you reflect on those habits and routine, was there an influence of a particular incident or the journey itself that you took 33 years back? Uh, I think one of the biggest, uh, I guess, habits that came out of the journey, and, it, and this, this is a tough one, it's uh, when something happens that's completely out of your control and there's nothing you can do to rectify that situation, uh, let it go as quickly as you possibly can. Because until you let that go quickly, you'll never be able to seek an alternate path. And you see people in life and in business hanging on to the old way of doing things, even though they know that they can't use oil anymore, they can't do this or they can't do that. The, 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 
sort of momentum around the old things and when they change or out of control you keep hanging on to it you need to find the alternate path so that is lesson five in the book because so many things go go wrong on the trip and and at the start of the trip i get really pissed off when when you know my thing gets stolen or or the bike breaks down or you know i'm, I'm angry all the time and by the end of the trip you can see that now it's just like okay well let's figure out how to fix this so you move past it quickly, but that is it's a tough lesson to learn. That also leads to that leads to lesson ten uh, in the book, which is be prepared for the unexpected, remain flexible and adaptable, and willing to change your plans. So in the book, um, at one point I was going to return home after France. I had made that solid decision. I'm going back. I've had enough. Three months of the road is fine. This is good. I've learned everything I can learn. I'm done. Um, and then I said later that I was never going to fly. Uh, this is an overland trip and it'll be a travesty and a you know betrayal of the trip if I fly and the flying uh, that I was going to ride north to Denmark and that changed so all those plans changed and I had to adapt uh, but at the end of the day the adaptation didn't mean that I was defeated it just meant I had to show resilience and I had to look I had to have a willingness to look for alternate ways to continue the path forward so that's what I say with those lessons Tell me a little bit more. I think both of these are powerful lessons and the way I see they help in creating a mental model for you that when X happens, then the way to react or think about is in a particular way. So lesson number five or lesson number 10, they are both about a mental model. Did did that get translated into some sort of a habit on a daily or weekly basis that made sure that that mental model becomes a part of uh, uh, your action-taking or decision-making system? I, I, I think I just naturally now let things go. Water off a duck's back. I, I, I just see, okay, so this has happened. Is there is there a, a way forward that we can pursue? Mm. Just always, you might as well just go straight to the way forward because you end up there anyway. Mm. You can spend weeks going around in circles trying to get back to where you were or you can just decide to move forward. And if you decide to move forward right away, you've saved yourself two, three weeks. Do you meditate? And, and, I've, wor and I've worked in so many companies where you just go around in circles and it's just painful to watch. Understood. Uh, I was getting curious when you were uh, responding. Uh, do you have a habit like meditation or being in silence or some sort of a practice that helps you making this even more powerful? My new one is walking. Yeah, ab absolutely. Walking to me is meditation and walking creates mindfulness because if you walk and you Instagram at the same time and find all the interesting little things in your neighborhood, like a motorcycle the other day that had three rules of life, go fast, eat pizza, don't die. I think those are three fantastic rules. <laughs> Each day you can do at least two or three, two out of those three, right? Absolutely. So those little gems, and you only find those little gems when you're walking your neighborhood, hmm. and when you're mindful of your surroundings, right? So it, it, I think it helps to focus you. And we we spend our working lives just going from task to task to task, from email to email to email. And if you don't take the, it, the breaks in between the emails are where the ideas start. If you're just thinking about the next email, you never have a chance to start the idea. So. I think in my next, in my next, uh, if I end up working in an office again, I'm going to force walking meetings. 
some company did that, like GE or I, I don't know who, who did that. It was probably a Jack Welch thing, the latest flavor of the moment or something. But it probably works. These two or three habits or routine that you mentioned, I can just imagine them being so powerful to uh, uh, to create a system uh, for success for most of us. I'm going to link this, uh, Graham, to uh, another factor that uh, uh, I have found to be so relevant for most of us uh, as uh, uh, professionals, which is about how do we build uh, authentic relationships. So uh, first part of my question is, who are the three to four individuals who had the most influence in your professional life? And in what way, this is my second part of the question, did your journey help in making deep, authentic relationships in life? If at all, it did have any influence. Yeah, uh, I've ha I've been blessed to work with lots of amazing individuals uh, over my career. Um, I would have to say one of the big ones, probably the biggest is my first boss, Ivan Kramer, uh, who took me under his wing in Seattle in Bothell, where our office was sort of taught me soup to nuts, uh, everything there was to know about real estate, not only the, the technical parts of it, uh, but about what I call these soft skills. So uh, learning to have patience, uh, really considering strategy, what the long short term implications of everything are, uh, knowing what risk is acceptable and what's unacceptable, uh, due diligence, how to do proper due diligence, those are all the things that you sort of need to be a real success if you're going to be in the development game. The other stuff you can learn, you can go good engineers, you can get amazing architects, you can put together great teams, but you sort of have to have these soft skills because the, the business is all about people at the end of the day. And Ivan was a real people person. Uh, the second person would be Gino Noni of Colliers, uh, ultimate gentleman, true tactician, sort of really understood the brokerage game uh, and where value was. He always gave you the, the sort of straight goods when you came to him with, and asked him a question. Uh, didn't beat around the bush. Uh, Jim Cox, Mary Q, BC Real Properties, so Al Parker. I've, I've worked with a lot of smart people, so I could go on and on, on and on. Um, but I think that I was able to develop a connection with each of them uh, because of one of the lessons that are in the book, which is try to maintain an assumption uh, that people you meet are good, honest folk at their core, no matter what their background, their race, their culture, their creed. Uh, I think we all share a common humanity. Uh, we share a common curiosity and we, we share, I think, a willingness to sort of share our experience with others. So when you sort of... Uh, look at people from that standpoint, it makes you curious about them naturally. I think that curiosity is what has sort of engaging that with, with people in a genuine interest. You have, you have to do this genuinely. You can't, people know right away if you're fake. They know right away if you're fake and you're a salesman, you have to be genuinely interested in somebody's life in order to ask the right questions of them. And I think uh, of all these of all these lessons in the book, one of the people that I, that I mentioned in in the previous part there about who the person Ivan Ivan Kramer, uh, so he gave me a whole bunch of lessons to augment my ten that were in the in the book. Uh, one of the ones that I always remember, he says, "We all get up in the morning. It's probably sexist now, uh, and pull on our pants one leg at a time, from the president of the United States to the janitor who cleans the White House." 
Uh, second one that he that he always used to say was respect everybody's position in place, uh, as all are critical to the mission. Something out of the war, I guess. Uh, so, all of those things together, along with the natural curiosity, I think, is really what allows you to get closer to people and build connections. You have to be genuinely interested. You can't fake it. So many gems in that response of yours, uh, and such a powerful lesson, I must say. I'm kind of curious right now to also hear any story from your journey where you realized that uh, there is a need to be curious and open uh, towards believing that every other person, irrespective of race, caste, etc., is uh, is a good human being. So, is there a story? Uh, in that journey that made you realize this? There's there's a series of stories and, and a thread that goes through the book uh, that, that shows my naivety early on and, and sort of that willingness to trust and accept and how it gets eroded through uh, through various events. Uh, you know, obviously we get we get things stolen. Uh, in, in Morocco, we uh, we trusted you know the first people that came up to us when we rode into the villages which of course happened to be the local drug dealers uh and, you know typically would, would come and we we followed them down these dark little alleys to to these little stores and shops that were obviously run by their friends got a tour of the town uh you know and then the big drug sale would come in later uh which we had to pay through the nose just to get just to get out of there right so lots of Lots of stories like that where where you're, you're that's the problem. You, when you open yourself up to people like that and trust people, you're going to get ripped off sometimes. And it's very difficult not to develop this shield, it's sort of the, the shields up mentality when you approach a new place, a new culture, a new people, where you just think, I'm going to get ripped off. Uh, and let me tell you, if you go to Egypt, there's no way you can help with the shields up. You have to put your shields up as soon as you leave the airport. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> so, um, it, it's hard to lower those shields when you need to, to get to know the people, to get to know people and trust people. And that's like, there's, there's one story in there about how we ride into this little village and, and, and we're riding, you know, on the parts of the plate, parts of the, the Nile that tourists don't see and the little side roads going to the little villages of, you know, five, 600 people and every village you go into literally all the kids come out and they start, and, and we found this out after that they start opening up all your zippers on your bags and things just start disappearing. <laughs> so we had to, we, so we had to put our rain covers on top of our bags. Like it, it was obviously 35 degrees out and dusty and you got your rain covers on, you're like an idiot. But uh, that was to stop the little kids from taking everything out of the, out of the, out of the bags. And then we ride into this one village and they up to the schoolhouse. And I think we are asking the guy for some water and the headmaster comes out. And he insists on getting all of the kids to come out and sing this welcome song to us. Like, oh, it, was wow. just, it was like something out of Africa. What out of Africa? I was in Africa. What am I saying? It was, it was in Africa. Uh, and then we, it took us an hour and a half to get out of the village. You know, they offered us, they wanted us to come stay in their homes. We had to drink five cups of tea. We had to have lunch. We had, like it was just, so there's lots of times like that. And if you were just shields up, there's no way you would have just ridden right through that village. Wow. So, in, in this story, there is uh, a phase of first developing a shield because of um, experiencing uh, what I would call as an adverse event, which again, for a lot of us, if we are open, then we could 
be taken advantage of yes. uh, but then after that as you lowered down the shield uh, you experience something very very different which is um, which is all i would say is in the possibility when we uh, lower down the shield and treat every other uh, person around us uh, irrespective of the race or caste etc as another human being right that's why it's so sad what happened in 2016 to 2020 in the states the shields everybody had their shields up and still do all the shields are up it's terrible yeah yeah very powerful uh, uh lesson and profound one uh, graham i must say um so tell me uh, are there uh, any career transitions uh, and uh, uh link to that any lessons from your journey that helped in making decisions during the transition because i'm assuming from this previous response that as you developed uh an openness towards connecting with people and creating authentic relationships uh along the way you would have learned more lessons around how to deal with setbacks and when i mention transition i mean you know two types of transition one is Uh, a transition where you move from one role to another which contributed to your higher growth second kind of transition is when you received a setback and then that made you reflect like this is a story that you shared where first you developed a shield but then you reflected and you realized that this might not be the right way yeah okay uh so besides my recent uh, I'll call it unhiring uh only one of my other career transitions was actively pursued uh that would be a deliberate transition from my job at first professional where i was building walmarts uh which was a life of uh red eye flights uh media scrums uh, i had two young kids at home at the time uh and i actively wanted to transition from that so i went to what i thought was going to be a nice sedate posh uh university of british columbia development corporation job so so from a private to a public sector and uh, i joke it was probably busier than the first professional job and way 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 more challenging uh with a huge huge learning curve uh but the benefit was there was no travel okay uh with travel is travel is deadly with young kids just deadly um so over my career uh, i've basically made it a habit of never switching jobs without going to something that's completely new So I and I I did this consciously and unconsciously because I noticed in my career I went from public to private public to private public to private right so going switching over the fence all the time so I could sort of get a sense of what drives both both sectors um I think that simply hopping around in the same industry if you're if you're in a retail shopping center guy and you go to Cadillac and then you go work for Ivanhoe or if you're residential you go work for Ani Uh, and then you go work for Anthem sort of you're you're just hopping around in the same pool and you're not really getting your creative juices flowing uh and you're not maximizing the amount of of intelligence you can gain on companies cultures right i've been in public and private sectors so i understand how both of them work and how they think and how long it takes each to make decisions um this this strategy that i somehow figured out or pursued or i don't know what what happened uh it it has also led to some very interesting projects to work on and i've gotten exposure to a huge range of amazing talent and individuals to work with which you never would if you just stuck sort of in the in in the 
in your own pool, I guess, if you want to say it. So I think two lessons from the journey uh, influence this. Uh, lesson nine is, is uh, a wise person I met on the trip once told me that when you're close to the end of your life's journey, you will reflect on the times where things didn't go as planned. Those wrong turns that led to the amazing views, the breakdowns that forced you to improvise and use all your wits, the girls you didn't kiss, the times you tested your limits, all of these build the character and the person that you become. So that's lesson nine. And lesson 10 is be prepared for the unexpected, remain flexible and adaptive and willing to change your plans. So right now I'm sitting in an Airbnb. Our house is being ripped apart because the flooring had a defect that the manufacturers need to fix. So it's glued down, glued down concrete floor. So you can imagine what that looks like. So I'm living in an Airbnb. My wife is hiding in the other room. The dog is in front of me. I've clipped this thing to a, to a dining room table and I'm sitting here on a podcast. So you have to be flexible and adaptable and willing to change your plans, right? Wow, both are so powerful lessons and I'm really grateful to the wise man who gave you the lesson number nine. That I don't know. Well, I couldn't very... tell you. I couldn't tell you who it is. Um, it could have been this guy we met at the pyramid. Uh, he was an American, uh, and he first thing he said was, "I hate my countrymen. They're all a bunch of boorish jerks." Or I can't remember what he said anyway. But he he was an he was an amateur archaeologist, and he basically gave us a like a personalized tour of what we were seeing at the pyramids. And this was a time when you could still crawl around all the rocks. So. There's a picture of me in the book sitting on the bottom of the of the Great Pyramid of Giza and you can look up behind me and you see this, you know, rock, rocks as far as the eye can see with a flat surface at the top. And I'm, I'm looking around me and there's tourists picking up shards of the rock and putting it in their bags and their backpacks. There's one guy chipping a piece off the, the, the side like it's just you, th you think today like this is crazy shit like it's just wow nuts. And I'm sitting on the bottom of this pyramid and I don't and I don't sort of come to the realization that all of these big chunks of rock and boulders sitting in front of me that look like the Flintstones, they've fallen off the pyramid up above me where I've been sitting. So and then I find out after the tourists have been killed by these rocks falling and you see the size of these rocks. This is like a, you know, a car, a small Whoa. car falling on you. So, yeah, and this, you should see the picture in the book. It's crazy. It's crazy when I saw it again. It's like, God. See, I'm lucky I'm here, but uh, that's that's kind of where, where we're at. Uh, I'll tell you why I found that to be powerful, because uh, in setbacks, typically it's so easy to lose sight of the big picture and get totally immersed in why is it happening? Why yep. is it happening to me? Yep. Uh, but uh, like the wise man said to you that uh, some of the most uh, memorable events in our life at the end of life probably are those where yes. We have taken an unexpected turn and the setback probably uh, was uh, creating a different path for us uh, to, to see something different and just building upon the previous response of yours, uh, make you more creative and bring out more gifts inside of you compared Absolutely. to the path that you are on. So that's why I found it so profound. So thank you so Absolutely. much for sharing that. Yes, we, we need adversity to grow. Without adversity, you can't grow. Yeah, and the way and and if you can put yourself purposefully in adversity, or you can wait for it to come to you. Mm. Moving on, uh, Graham, the journey was taken more than thirty years back, and you wrote the book recently. And some life lessons uh, must have gotten refreshed as a result. Uh, if you could go back in time and advise a ten years younger you, 
what is the one piece of advice that you would give to yourself and why so a younger me how much younger 10 years T- 10 10 years younger um i would say i would go back to lesson 4 learn to appreciate the small things in life mm-hmm. and recognize what is essential versus what is a luxury um only now i can sort of see myself living a life of post consumption you know that point where you just say i can't buy anything why, why do i need anything else i have everything i need this is ridiculous why i'm con- continuing to consume and then you look at your parents and all of the stuff they have accumulated and believe me my father could set a record on how much <laughs> he's accumulated over his 30 years in, in his basement uh i wish i could tell myself that 10 years ago stop acquiring stuff because it feels so good to get rid of stuff it's like it declutters your mind almost oh and that's, so that's what i would give to myself if it was 10 years 10 years before again a very powerful lesson and i'm 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 really uh curious uh, to read the book for the lessons that you are sharing and i really like the way you are able to relate to uh, a lot of these questions to a particular lesson that uh, you drew from that journey so so thanks for articulating it that way okay. no thanks you're welcome <laughs> uh some rapid fire questions uh oh. what's your favorite book or podcast and why favorite book uh favorite book of all time is called Shantaram uh just an amazing amazing book the second book wasn't so good um and second question was podcast my um, favorite podcast yeah favorite uh, okay. podcast uh what's on my phone uh oh sorry this is rapid fire okay uh, freakonomics it's an old one but a good one got it and uh any one line about why did you like Shantaram and why uh do you listen to uh, freakonomics uh shantaram was just a- an incredible life story that was when you were reading it you just said this can't be true there's just no way this can be happening to this guy and it just can't be true and you say that so many times during the book uh and then you find out that it is it is a real book he wrote it in i can't give away the story anyway. <laughs> he wrote it he wrote it in jail anyway but uh just an amazing amazing story just lots of sex drugs and rock and roll um freakonomics just because it it makes you think differently mm okay clear the next one uh, again uh, uh just answer it very quickly what's your best investment in money or time to manage your well-being my best investment in money um walking calls and meetings mm-hmm, <laughs> uh mm-hmm. and and scheduled digital free time scheduled digital free time digital okay. free time turn off the devices or block them with a cell phone oh i love that whatever you have to do i don't know whatever i love that i love that okay so uh this uh brings us to almost the end of uh, uh the show um i'm very intrigued to pick up the book uh seems like a a fascinating uh journey uh, that uh, uh a lot of us should take for the kind of experience during the journey and also the le- the kind of lessons that you shared which were so useful in uh in your professional as well as personal life later on 
tell me uh, where can people learn more about the book including the launch date and a place to buy so it's it's actually a good covid free book right now you can travel from the comfort of your couch mm-hmm. uh, and experience something that uh, you may never do or you may hopefully have done something like in your life or you may never do it in your life but you can experience it uh, so the book is called tailwinds mm-hmm. spelled t a l e uh wins a coming of age memoir of a 13000 km journey by bicycle through Europe North Africa and the Middle East uh so it'll be published on Amazon in Kindle format and also paperback uh sometime in April 2021 uh i'm going to post it on my linkedin page uh for a link of how to buy it uh or 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 can i actually read a short excerpt from the book here oh please do to, to end to end yes sir okay find okay. a spot uh it's the two month anniversary of the start of the trip and i've bought myself a bottle of sparkling wine to celebrate in this short time i've cycled on roads that were laid by the romans walked amongst mysterious ancient monoliths conquered the hills of wales failed miserably to pronounce the longest place name in the world kissed the blarney stone and caught a cold shook the hand of the biggest rock star on the planet listened to tall tales being spun of warring giants seen humanity at its worst with the ira been witness to the kindest generosity of the human spirit conquered an actual spirit walked in the footsteps of the vikings didn't kiss the girl but didn't lose her either pushed myself further than i ever thought was possible and discover the universal truth that the only limits are the ones we set in our own minds. I feel like I'm just slipping into the groove and the best is yet to come. Amazing. The only limits that we have are the ones that we set in our mind. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful note to end this show. Uh I am really curious whenever the book comes out I'm going to pick it up and read and I'm going to uh, recommend it to as many folks as uh there are in my network. Thank you so much Graham for Thank coming on the so show. Thank you so much Raul. Thank you so much. See you around. Okay, see you around. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of The Habit Stack of Problem Solvers by Purple Crest. If you enjoyed this episode, please help support the podcast by sharing it with others or by leaving a rating or review. To catch all the latest from us, you can visit purplecrest.co. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.